his heart and the word of the Lord this morning to us. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be with you. Man, did Ben just do a fantastic job? I want to thank a number of you who, even when you came through the doors, greeted me and talked to me about uh, your involvement through the years with Jammin and, and different things. And that was something that uh, uh, only God could put together and uh, something that uh, touched people's lives in a lot of different places. And uh, I want to just thank all of you who were behind that. Uh, it's a joy to be able to be back in the area with you. And I want to thank Dave and the rest of the team for the invitation to be able to be with you this morning. And as a pastor, I want to commend those uh, leaders, those of you who are pastors, on the network and the time that you're taking to pray together. It's, uh, it's really an amazing story. I wish I could tell you that we were that strong uh, in our networks in Seattle. So I want to encourage you to continue to nurture what's happening. So why don't you stand with me? You've been kind of tucked in there for a minute. Don't leave. Don't go anywhere. Don't take it as a bathroom run. But just stand up for a minute maybe move around. And uh, I want to lead you in a word of prayer. And today I want to talk to you about uh, one of the favorite topics of my heart. I want to talk to you today about love, marriage, and, and building your life. And uh, I really believe today that through what Ben's saying, what Stan's going to say, and hopefully with what I'm saying, that today God's going to build up every one of your lives. Inside this room today, there's hopes, there's dreams, and there's things that we don't even talk to any, anyone else about. Things that maybe are unresolved, that are undone, maybe painful. And today I just believe that God wants to speak into every man and every life and do something amazing. So would you pray with me right now? And uh, even bring those private places that you've not even talked to another human being about. Whether it's a dream, whether it's a hurt, whatever it is. And just let God begin to open up those, those places deep inside of your heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity for us to be together. We've just heard an amazing story of how you work behind the scenes. And I pray, Lord, that today in every heart and every man, that you would bring nuggets of truth into our lives, things that would build us up, strengthen us, God, and that would change us, that we would never be the same. And uh, we just lay this before you this morning. We pray for the power of your spirit to just go deep with every one of us, Speak to us exactly what we need to hear today. Yes. That in the morning of this day, June 10, we would leave being refreshed, empowered, and even inspired to go forward, God, from this day yes. and bear the fruit of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated today. And, um, you know, I do want to talk to you about just the commonality of, of really what brings life together. Um, as as um, Dave was talking about, for more than 20 years, I've been connected with uh, different athletes, most of them NBA players, some NFL guys. Just yesterday, I had an NFL player that I met with in the morning at uh, Starbucks before I drove down here. And um, the first couple of years that he was in Seattle on the Seahawks team, uh, we just befriended him as a rookie coming into town. And so he was at our house for Thanksgiving. He was at our house for Christmas Eve for his first two years in the league. And uh, he just came by yesterday and said, hey, I just want to tell you how much it meant to me when I didn't have any other, any other connections really in Seattle. And a lot of times I really wasn't doing that well, and your family was there for us. I just got back from Israel, taking a team of people to Israel, and I told him, I said, you know, when I was standing in the Valley of Elah, which is where David took down Goliath, 
I said I was thinking about you and I was praying for you. Because one time he walked into our church and it just so happened that I was preaching that story of David versus Goliath. And here's this NFL football player, the first guy to come down and just say, hey, would you pray for me? Because boy, that's what my life feels like, is that I'm just facing the Giants and I just really need God's hand. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're an NFL player, if, if you're an NBA player, the truth is family and relationship is, is no matter where you are in life is the most important thing. I work with a lot of different men of all different walks of life. Today in my church, uh, we live on the east side of Seattle. We have a lot of guys who are in key positions in business. One of the top Starbucks executive, I mean, you, know, you just go down the list, Safeco, uh, Boeing, they're right there in the midst of our church. And so every day, we're in the lives of these men. Just two nights ago, I got a call late at night. It was from a friend of mine who's a skipper on a boat in Alaska. And he was on his way into port calling me from the ship. Now, most of you probably don't know this, but I grew up in a commercial fishing family. So if you've ever watched Deadliest Catch or you've seen some of those things, we got a lot more respect when those, when those shows went on TV. How many of you know that? Before that, nobody had any respect for what we were doing. But uh, I grew up long-lined halibut out in the Aleutian Islands. In fact, I was called of God out in the Aleutian Islands on my dad's boat. And I started fishing when I was 10 years old. And, um, you know, I would never trade this, you know, anywhere in my life because my dad was a, an incredible Christian man in a very negative and very ungodly profession, if you know what I'm talking about. And yet, uh, as we had a six-man crew in Alaska, and he was the skipper, he wanted to make sure there was no favoritism because I was the skipper's son. So every dirty, dangerous part of the job, you know, they called my name. And I was like, is there anybody else that's fishing on this boat? Is it just me, you know? And... Uh, but anyhow, so I've, I've got this background of all of my life, starting off with my dad when I was 10 years old, going to sea. Fished two different fisheries. Fished uh, Alaska, uh, Long Lane Halibut in Alaska. The latter part of the summer, we would come down the Oregon coast, California, and we fished a totally different fishery, which was Albuquerque tuna. And we would be anywhere from 200 miles off, off the shore to as far as 2,000 miles. Some of those trips, 30 to 40 days. The thing about tuna fishing is it's just a two-man job, so it's just my dad and me. Can you imagine being at sea for 40 days without seeing land and being on a boat with just your dad? Can you imagine that? <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're very close, and he, you know, he, he taught me so many amazing things. He also did things that I would never do with my son. Uh, I mean, every night tuna fishing is so different than in Alaska. In Alaska, the boat never sleeps. The boat fishes 24 hours. You're on deck 20 hours. You get four hours to sleep. We laid 20 miles of gear every day on the ocean bottom with 5,000 hooks, which meant we had to cut 5,000 pieces of bait, put 5,000 pieces of bait on hooks, haul it up, anything that wasn't a halibut, red snapper, eels, eels are the worst, but we would, we would fillet them both sides of the backbone, chop them into bait, put them out there. Every fish that came over the side, halibut, you have to gut them, you have to scrape them inside, and then they can't be frozen, they have to be sold as a fresh fish. So they go below decks, even though the boat could easily freeze them hard as rocks, we had to carry tons of ice below the decks, go down and chip it out, stuff it in their bellies, put them into place. You know, it's unbelievable, never stops, it's just, it's killer. And, um, but tuna fishing's totally different. You don't bait one hook, you just use jigs. You just troll, it's like a big boat ride. And, um, and at night, you just drift, because the fish don't bite at night. So you just drift at night. So almost every single night, you can just see me from the age of 10 and on, 
uh, at night we have these big halogen lights just light up the water all around. It's beautiful crystal blue tuna water. And uh, because the boat's always rocking a little bit in the seas, and there's a little bit of blood and, and, and oil on the decks from some of the fish as we're circling, cycling them between the freezing unit and down below, um, we would always have sharks around our boat every single night. And so here I am, my dad's in there sleeping, and he knows what I'm doing. I'm out there playing with sharks. I'm taking tuna wire, tuna gear, and putting it on the tail. And inside their gills, there's big uh, arteries. So I'd reach inside, pop those arteries, start draining blood, and I would throw this tuna fish out over the sharks, and then pull on the, you know, the tuna line as fast as I could. And the tuna's like, you know, like water skiing, and the sharks are like coming from different directions. And then I would pull the line, and the little tuna would come flying back on board. And these sharks would literally lunge, trying to get that tuna. And, uh, and then they just get in this frenzy. Where, have you ever seen how this, you guys, some of you are fishermen, you know what I'm talking about. They will literally come up alongside of the boat and like stick their snouts out of the water. And it's almost like they're sniffing, they're looking for something. So we have these gaff hooks. And on one side it's a gaff hook and on the other it's just a piece of wood. And so when these guys are sticking their snouts out of the water, I'm just like, bam, I'm hitting them on the head. And, and they're going back down in the water and it's like, what was that? They're not used to that, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm out there playing with sharks every night and my dad's asleep. That's the parents I had. But anyhow, um, it, it was a different way of growing up. But what I'm saying to you today is this, is it doesn't matter where you work, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter whether you're a fisherman in Alaska making a living, whether you're an NFL guy, whether you're an executive at Starbucks, there's one thing that binds us all together, and that is that we really truly have a heart. And a lot of times, we're, we're so driven by how people perceive us, we're so driven about how uh, we can establish ourselves or be seen by other people. But the truth is, underneath the crust, there's a place in every single one of us that yearns for relationship, that needs to be loved. I was in Austria one time, and there was a guy in the Austrian military. This guy was huge. I mean, he's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, just this great big huge guy. And I don't remember what they call him, but you know those little weird Alps suits that they wear with real short shorts? You know what I'm talking about? Like little suspenders? This great big huge guy is wearing one of those suits. I'm like, that just does not fit, you know what I mean? It just, it's like odd, you know? And, um, and he was having dinner with us, and he was telling jokes, and he laughed harder at his own jokes than anybody else did. But I mean, this great big huge guy, and he was giving these belly laughs, just super big. And finally his wife was kind of like, hon, you know? And he looks over at her and he says this, don't kill the boy inside the man. And I thought, wow, what a statement. Don't kill the boy inside the man. The truth is, inside every single one of us, no matter how young you are, how old you are, there's a common core, and it's just what we call our heart. And if our heart isn't right, and if our relationships aren't right, it doesn't matter the titles that we have, the money that we make, or how somebody else sees us. We're going to walk in a place of unfulfillment in our lives. And so today, in the next few minutes, I just want to take you to the Bible. I want to talk to you for a moment today about no matter where you are on, on the scale, that God has a greater future for you than where you've been. That God today, for some of you who are hurting, some of you are, are in a place where you're estranged from your kids, some of you today, uh, you're, you're broken, some of you have been through multiple marriages, others of you, you're looking at life and you're wondering because you've experienced places of hurt or brokenness, 
You know, should I even worry about getting married? Is there a future? Does love, can love work? Can love last a lifetime? Is it worth this? There's other, others of you that may be married, but you're in a rough spot right now. Things aren't really as, as, as good as you would want it to be. And you're tempted. There's always temptations that come along. There's always things that look as if it's going to make something better. I want to just speak to you. Is that okay if I speak to you for about 20 minutes or so here? About how to take just that aspect of God's grace and God's love and really make it work in your life. Amen? Come on. Okay, so if you have your Bibles or you have a phone, I want you to turn with me. And uh, I'm going to just hit some scriptures real quick. And, um, and then I'm going to talk about what they mean. I want to go to the book of Ephesians. And if you're taking notes, um, this is my core right here, is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what it says. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It's interesting that the Bible says that. It says, live a life of love. It doesn't tell us to live a life of success. It doesn't say live a life of this or live a life of that. But with the call of God upon us is to settle this one thing. And you know what God says? Live a life of love. Don't worry about a life of prestige or a life of these other things. Get your priorities right. Live just as an imitator of Christ. Think about that. When you follow Christ, what are you going to follow? You're going to follow a path of humility. Isn't that right? A path of surrender. It's a whole message of Jesus is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Christ had to be willing to give of himself. We read it in Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about how though he was, in his very essence, God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or struggled for, but he humbled himself, and he took the form of a servant. If you look in the original Greek, that, that where it says servant, it literally means he became a slave. Isn't it amazing that God himself became a slave so he could set you and me free? That he came and set aside his own prerogatives. He set aside the things that he had the power to do and the things that he had the power to be, but he set those things aside in order to choose to live a life of love towards us. So when you start to think about your family, and you start to think about the importance of men, you know, a lot of times we're coming up on Father's Day, and a lot of times Father's Day messages, it's like, hey, the whole world is going to hell because you men aren't what you should be. I want to say this to you. God doesn't want to kill the boy that's inside the man. God wants you to know that there's a, there's a purpose, that he cares about you. He sees who you are. Even those secret things you don't even talk to another human being about, God wants to be right in the center of who you are. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. He wants to pick you up and dust you off. He wants to speak value into you. He wants you to know that no matter what's happened in your life, good or bad, even those moments when you feel like you're on the mat and you can't get back up, there's a God that loves you beyond your failures, beyond your brokenness, beyond your worst moments. How many of you know that? today. That your God is bigger than your biggest screw-up. How about that? God is bigger than your biggest problem, your biggest failure, and that he wants to work and move with power in your lives. Be an imitator of God. You know, we're imitating everything else, aren't we? We're trying to fit into everybody else's mold. We're trying to do what they want us to do. We're trying to be what they want us to be. And yet when you go home so often, you look in the mirror, and it's a little disappointing because it's empty. Instead of being who God wants you to be, you're imitating what somebody else is. And it just never really works. Today, I want to encourage you. To just let the Spirit of God speak value to you, to speak wholeness to you, and, and realize that if you'll just ask God 
He will, he will wash you, He will renew you, and He will speak fresh to you. And wherever you are, He's got a future for you, if you'll lay hold to it. Can you get this with me? Ephesians 5.1. One of my call to be an imitator of God. What's my call? To live a life of love. You know, think about that. If you can get that right, all the rest of this stuff, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. If you're chasing power, position, success, sexual fulfillment, all of these different things, if you're, if you're seeking that outside of seeking to walk as an imitator of God, it's going to fail. But when you start to take that call, Lord, I want to really have you at the center of my life. And I, I want to believe you for what you what you say you will do. Then all of these other things will just begin to fall into their place. Yeah, right. You'll be amazed. It'll be like a Ben story. You'll see God is at work in the things that you never knew He was working on. All right, let's just look at the scripture a little later. Um, you know, when we talk about relationships and we talk about marriage, there's just so much hurt that um, you know today a lot of churches don't even preach about Mother's Day anymore. We don't preach about Father's Day, and it's because people say, you know what, you're just bringing up so much hurt, so much pain. But, um, you know, the truth is, if we don't learn how to do it right, then we just give it away. We just default it. And I want to just say this to you. Uh, one of the greatest gifts in all of life is your own family. There's no place that will hurt you more than your own family, but there's no greater grace and place of love than your own family. And I think we need to just keep striving towards what God has for us. Can I get an amen today? Amen. Striving towards the things that God has. Here's, here's a great thing. Today, in today's world, we struggle to preach about marriage because we're in a culture that doesn't want to talk about the word submission. But we just get it wrong. If we could just look at it correctly, I think it would change our whole perspective. And I want to help with that a little bit today. In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about just getting things in order. You know, how we ought to think, how we ought to talk, how we ought to relate to each other. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, says something very powerful. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Very next verse says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but what I'm talking about is Christ and his church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So when you look at this big thing about relationship, first of all, it's our relationship with God. We've just got to take those places, those hurts, those pain, that private place, and we just need to go to God. And we need to just ask Him, Lord, I just surrender my heart. I surrender my life. I come, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to, to just move the debris out of the way and I ask you, God, to forgive me. 
cleanse, cleanse my heart, and I pray for your Holy Spirit to just come in and begin to take me right where I'm at and begin to lead me and guide me and speak to me. And once you start to do that, all things become possible. And as we get into God's Word, He's going to bring illumination. He's going to, he's going to show us things about life that are so strategic and are so key. And if we start to walk in them, we'll never be the same. How about this one? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before we ever get to women submit to your husbands, the first thing that's told to all of us is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This, is a, this relationship between a man and a woman is the most incredible relationship. It's certainly under attack today, isn't it? Everywhere you look and everything about it, this, this relationship is now a rare blessing. If you're, if you're walking in a relationship that's pure with a woman, you're in marriage, it's a rare relationship in today's world. And, and I, I want to just say to you that it's worth pursuing by God's hand. That's right. It's worth chasing after. The Bible says to the, to the wife, submit to your husband. You know, here's the truth. If I'm the right kind of husband, it's not hard for my wife to get on board with me. If I'm walking and she sees me walking with God, she sees me teachable, humble. She sees a heart that breaks in front of God. You know what? If, if, think about this. If you know that I want to bless you, you'll let me do it. Isn't that right? If you know I'm for you, it's going to totally change how you, how you perceive what I'm doing. If you know my heart is totally pure, my motives are right, I want nothing to do but to bless you, you'll get out of the way and you'll let me bless you. It's the same way with your wife. If your wife really knows that you love her and you care for her and she's a treasure to you, then, you know, here's some real quick nuggets for you. You can never outgive a woman. Do you know that? Whatever you give a woman, you're going to get ten times back. That's just true. You show her love, she's going to show you love. You show her mercy, she's going to show you ten times. How many know most guys need ten times more mercy than their wives do? You know that? You know? But you can't outgive a woman. It's just true. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. If you give her time, she's going to give you time. You know, uh, William Harley wrote a book a few years ago, His Needs, Hers Needs. It's a great one. You might want to pick it up if you haven't already. Another one is called Love and Respect. I just read you these scriptures. If you want to talk about the core of how to have a real relationship, it starts with mutual respect for each other, a yielding to one another. It's not the guy ruling the house. It's God ruling the house and you and her learning how to have bliss together. Some people want to rule the house and you miss the bliss. Uh, I like the bliss. I like it. I brought my wife with me last night. I like the bliss. I have, I have a wife that's walked with me, and I wouldn't be you know, the guy that I am today if it wasn't for my wife. I have a friend of mine, one of my dearest friends in the world. He pastors one of the greatest churches in America, John Jenkins. He's an African-American pastor. Uh, on the uh, Maryland side of Washington, D.C., 12,000 people in his church on a Sunday. And uh, just an incredible guy. And he said the other day, he said him and his wife were driving along, and they pulled up to a 7-Eleven. And when they were in the 7-Eleven, he looked over, and here was a guy that his wife dated before he met her. And this guy was a drunk. This guy was drinking out by the 7-Eleven. And he looked over at his wife, and he said, See that? If it hadn't been for me, that's where you would be, is with that guy. She paused for a second, and she said, oh, no. If I would have married him, he'd be the pastor of First Baptist, not me.
You know, my wife, my wife has walked with me. I mean, we've done, we've done evangelistic events in Memorial Coliseum, in the Rose Garden, Madison Square Garden in New York City twice, 23 labor unions to finagle with in Madison Square Garden. Never did we have a safety net. These events cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if it ever went off the rails, in fact, there were times where nobody else even knew this, but we took tens of thousands of dollars away from some events where there just wasn't enough offering or there wasn't enough support. And we paid those things off ourselves. It was always our house that was on the line every time we stood up to try and win somebody else's sons and daughters, uh, nieces and nephews and grandkids to the Lord. I'll tell you, God's always been good to us, but it's never been without a trial. It's never been without a faith challenge. And I'll tell you what, if I didn't have a woman who was willing to walk by faith with me, we wouldn't see the things that God has done. But I'm just saying to you, it's about nurturing these relationships. Right. It's about loving her. It's about respecting her. William Harley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, you know, he talks about the greatest needs of a woman. The greatest needs of a woman is affection. And then she needs security. She needs to know. You know, men can live in the back of a car and chase a dream. Women don't want to live in the back of a car and chase a dream <laughs> because they're nurturers, right? They, they're, they're, they're family builders. They're nest builders. You know, when Harley talks about men, what does he say? He says, the number one need of a man is sexual fulfillment. One day in our church, I was preaching about that. And I said, you know, number one is sexual fulfillment. Number two is a companion. Number three is an attractive. And I was going down all the, the list. And one of my buddies went home, and his wife, who's a flight attendant with Alaska Airlines, she looked at her husband, and she goes, Brad, Pastor Steve is saying the number one thing that a man needs is sexual fulfillment. That can't possibly be true, is it? And Brett said, Teresa. It's number one, it's number two, it's number three, it's number four, you know. And she was stunned, you know. And, you know, for you, you're not stunned. You know what we're talking about. You have a choice, you know where you're going, one out of the five, you know. But, but here's the situation that I'm talking about today. When you look at the big picture, and I know I'm almost out of time, but when you look at the big picture, it's all about mutuality. Because the very next thing is, the Bible says in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Sacrificial love. You know, I didn't hang on one side of the cross. And, you know, this whole business about, hey, I'm mad because you're not giving me what I want. I'm, I'm mad because you're not giving enough of this. A recent survey said that 46% of the men said that one thing that they wished was that their wife was less critical to them. The second thing they said was that they wish she was more sexual. The third thing that they said was they wish that their wife was more affirming of who they are. And I'll tell you what, I've learned one thing in my life, and that is that I can't complain about anything in my life because my wife is such a willing partner. But I have to sow in order to reap. I have to invest. I have to show her what a treasure she is in order for her to fully operate in the grace and the fullness that God has for her. I'm on a I'm on a um, on a watch. I wouldn't say a suicide watch, but I'm on a family watch right now because my only daughter is getting married in 60 some days, and my wife had me watch Father of the Bride twice, and uh, you know that little thing where Daddy, I met a man. You know that kind of a moment. You know, and uh, I'm just looking at my daughter. She's beautiful. She's lived her life pure. Uh, she's a treasure. I told her all of her life, if you live right. One day, I'm going to bless you with, with a great wedding that you're worthy of. Now, I'm like, God, why did I say that? I can't afford this, you know. But, but it's bigger than that. Because when my son got married, uh, I'm, the, I'm one of the pastors. And, 
my son's coming down the aisle. And, uh, you know, I remember one day when he was going through a tough time. And I had to go pick him up at college to have a talk with him about what was going on. And as I was driving about midnight with him in the car with me, he said, Hey, Dad, I think I'm going to get sick. And I said, Okay. And I stopped. And he got out and he got on the ground. And I just went over. I put my arm around him. And I said, Man, Josh, I don't know what else is going on. But, man, anything that's going on, it doesn't matter. We can, we can get through this thing. And, you know, it really wasn't the world's biggest thing, but it was a crisis in that moment for him. And I just was on my knees next to him, and, uh, and he just opened his heart. And God just did some amazing things. Today, he's one of the great leaders. He's preaching all over the country, doing amazing things. But that moment when I looked down the aisle and I saw him walking down the aisle with this beautiful gal that God had given to him, I just wept. So I'm weeping while my son's getting married. My wife is like, you're going to be such a mess with our daughter here. So I'm on, I'm, I'm, can you guys pray for me that I just get all of this out of me before that moment comes? But I don't know if I'm making, am I making any sense to you today? Here's, here's what I'm just trying to say to you is don't give up on where you are. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on a relationship that may be hurting. Don't give up on these things. But go to your source. Be an imitator of your God. Draw upon his mercy for you because he loves you. Yeah. Know that he cares about your marriage and your relationship. Don't buy the cheap substitutes. Yeah. Don't waste your life in pornography. Don't waste your life with other women. I'll tell you what, just because some gal seems available for you doesn't mean you're a stud. It just means there's a devil that wants to destroy you. Can we get that straight? Yeah. You know, Don't go for the cheap substitute. Don't give your future away for a cup of bean soup, so to speak. But dive into these things. Let God do something rich. The Bible says that men love your wives like Christ loved the church. That's sacrificial. Get this. You've, you've got to sow. You know, even if you're saying, man, you know what? I've said I'm sorry more times than I need to. She needs to do this. You know, or if you say, you know what? I'm, I'm doing this. I'm working hard. She just doesn't get it. She's not giving me enough affirmation. She's not understanding how much pressure I'm under. Forget about how it feels to you and just keep sowing to how it feels to her. Does that make sense to you? Keep loving her. Keep pouring into her. Do I have time for one more story? I don't even know where I'm at time-wise. Am I good? I went to lunch with a friend of mine a few years ago. And um, incredible story. Uh, I met him when he was a, a navigator on a B-52 bomber. He wanted to be a pilot. So I anointed him with oil and I prayed for him because he didn't have eyesight good enough to be a pilot. And um, the next day, he was supposed to go in for his um, eye exam. And that morning, he thought, you know, Steve anointed me with oil, so I should probably do it too. So I don't even know, I think he used like vegetable oil or something, and he got it smeared in his eyes, and so he went in for his eye exam, and his eyes were totally bloodshot and blurry, and the eye doctor said, what is wrong with your eyes? And he said, well, I was praying I could pass this test, and I put some oil, and the doctor's like, go home, come back tomorrow. He went back the next day and passed with perfect eyesight. And uh, in the first Gulf War, he was the tip of the spear. He flew the first jet into Iraqi airspace. Pretty amazing story. But we came back, and, and years later, we were having lunch. And he sat at the table, and he wept. And he told me the pain in his life with four kids and finding out that his wife had had an affair with another guy and that she was now telling him that she was going to leave him. And I was there with my friend, and I just couldn't believe the grief in his voice and the pain in his life. My wife had been telling me that she thought it was, you know, it was coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary, 
and she thought that it would be a really good time for an upgrade on that little diamond I bought her when we were just kids, getting married. And so she was doing everything, changing her passwords to diamonds and you know, all of this stuff, just as subtle hints for me, you know. And I'm just like, hey, you know, we've got so many other things, kids and coffee, all these other things, right? Well, that day, I got in my car and I thought, where would my life be if it hadn't been that my wife had chosen to be faithful to me? Where would I be in my life? And that day I decided that I wanted to go and buy her a, a diamond. And uh, so I went, and every spare moment I had, I didn't know much about diamonds, so I had a guy in my church who was in the business. And so every spare moment I had, he was taking me places and teaching me about color and clarity and all this stuff. And uh, it was right coming up on Christmas, which is super busy for pastors and wives, right? We had all these events. And um, so one day, after I bought this ring, it's being designed, and I'm ready to pick it up in just a couple of days, I wake up in the morning to my wife waking me up. She's going, what's wrong with you? I go, oh, you know, I'm just waking up. I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? She goes, aren't you going to help me? And I'm, you know, I'm like, what am I not doing? And she's like, we have so much stuff around here. And where are you? I know you're at church and stuff, but I can't get a hold of you. And you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, girl, if you only knew. Right. I've been searching everywhere to go find you this ring. You know, how can you tell? You can't tell her that, right? right? I was like, I was so mad. I was about ready to call and cancel the ring. I'm like, is that what I get? And uh, so anyhow, I took her out and I gave her this ring. And I didn't even realize what I was doing um, because nobody filled me in. But she came from a divorced home, went through all kinds of brokenness as a kid. And um, uh, she had asked me earlier if she could spend a little money and buy her mother a ring, because it would have been her mother's 50th anniversary coming up. And I said, hey, if you want to buy your mom a ring, that's cool. And so we sewed a little bit into her mother. But on this night, um, I took her to dinner and uh, gave her this ring, and I didn't realize it. It was randomly picked. I took her out on the 50th anniversary of her parents. And I gave her this ring, not on our anniversary, because I wanted it to be a real surprise for her. And I wept while I gave her that ring. Because I told her, I said, I just want you to know that you've been the greatest treasure that God has ever given me in my life. Above all other things is having your love, having your faithfulness. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have a life worth waking up for in the morning if it wasn't for your heart. And I, and I gave her that ring. I told that story when I was preaching at my friend's church, Pastor Jenkins, in Washington, D.C. There was a woman in the, in the church, Michelle Singletary. She's a nationwide syndicated columnist and writes about finance. And I, I told that story about buying that ring for my wife. And she was just attending church that day. And she wrote an article in, in her column that went all over the country. People started sending me from the Dallas Morning News and the Denver Post and the Washington, all these people were friends of mine saying, hey, I cut this out of the paper about you buying your wife this ring. I told my wife, I said, you know, I didn't know buying you this ring was going to make the national news. <laughs> she said, if you did it a little more often, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I got to close out with you, okay? I need you to pray for me because I, I just think about that little girl named Chanel, how when I've come off the road from preaching, uh, I'd get down on my knees because she would have her little McDonald's thing, her little headset, her little apron, and she would have her little notepad. She'd go, Daddy, what kind of, do you want a cheeseburger? You know? In 60-some days, I'm going to walk her down the aisle. The, the blessing on the Jameson home 
It's not because of hanging with athletes. It's not about making money fishing in Alaska. It's not about those things. It's about what happens right in the inner circle of your heart. That's good. It's what happens with your kids. So take it for the treasure that it is. Sow to your wife. Even if you feel like she isn't sowing back, she's not giving you, you feel kind of dry, you feel kind of empty, don't live there. Because if you stay there, that's all you're going to get. And you're going to take substitutes. You're going to get off track. Stand strong with God. Let Him renew your own heart, your own mind. And then pour it into your wife. And pour it into your kids. And, and you will taste the goodness of God. Come will you bow your heads with me real quick? How many of you today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would just lift up a hand and say, pray for me because I need that renewing in my own heart. I need a miracle in my marriage. I need a miracle in my... I see a lot of hands. I just need, I just need a breakthrough. Some of you, maybe it's even just that sense of, of just not being fulfilled. You're in different seasons of life. Sometimes there's a lot that can get in the way. But to just stand strong. Let me see your hand. If you want to get underneath this prayer, let me see your hand. All right, all over this place. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, the nuggets of your grace, the nuggets of your truth, that today we would leave this place and we would we would go and really be imitators of you. Let mercy pour out of us. Let it pour through us. Let mercy, let grace, let love rule our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.